What happens when you meet someone and you suddenly realize there's something different about this individual, something distinct, and you don't just see it, you feel it in their kindness and their generosity. And then you begin to think, what makes this individual so unique? And through their very presence, you get the sense that they are inspiring, that they are initiating, but most of all, they're helping others to transform. In other words, whether it's intentional or not, there are certain people in our gravity who you begin to understand that they go to work every day in the service of someone else's health and happiness. And today's guest is just that. And while her resume says she is a wellness lifestyle expert and the co-creator of At NYC Fit Fam, my own humble opinion, that paper doesn't do her justice. I think of her as someone who integrates mind, body, and spirit, and inspires others to discover their true potential to live their lives of happiness and prosperity. But what if that individual in her own climb to happiness and prosperity, it just didn't come so easily? And that's today's guest. Her name is Jamie Hess, and this is her story of how she rose to great heights as a public relations executive, but came to realize that she could turn her newfound passion for fitness into a calling that helps others to realize their dreams. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia, and our show today is sponsored by Climber, C-L-M-B-R, the most efficient full-body cardio strength and fitness machine available with instructor-led on-demand climbing and fitness classes. Key investors include Novak Djokovic, Jay-Z, and Ryan Seacrest. And to learn more about Climber, go to clmbr.com. And at checkout, use the code CHUCK250 to save $250 on your full paid offer. Climber also offers a convenient interest-free financing option. Click www.clmbr.com and input the code CHUCK250. This offer cannot be combined with anything else and is valid on paid full in pricing. And Jamie, now that we've got that out of the way, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. You know, when I thought about you having met you, and I thought about what a privilege it is for those of us who are in your gravity. What you exude is through your smile, through your warmth, and through a kindness that sometimes can't be measured, but you know what, when you feel it, that what a better world this is. Is that intentional or did that evolve over time? What a beautiful question. So I'd say two things, you know, um, <laughs> it, it just kind of brings me back to this, this term I heard when, when discussing religion with somebody and they said, you know, religion is for people who, um, who are trying to avoid hell and spirituality is for people who have already been there. And I, I like that because religion is about doctrine, but people who are truly spiritual, who truly embody a mind, body, soul connection, who truly want to just bring a warm and great and positive energy through their day, right? And be magnetic. Uh, that is something different and that is something learned. And it does come from past struggles in my opinion. So I would say that, did I grow up just being a magnanimous friendly person that just inspires others? Absolutely not, Chuck. I, I was on the struggle bus. But through that struggle, 
I found an awareness and I found a love for not just fitness, although that is at the crux of what I do, but for mindfulness and for approaching life with a sense of motivation and enthusiasm that serves me well. And my goal is to help it serve others as, as well. Well, it's an interesting angle that you took and you opened up with religion because often, whether we think of religion in the conventional term, people will say very colloquially, well, that, that's a religion to you. But when you think about this word guru, guru was actually the first name of a gentleman who was born in 1469, and it was part of practicing the religion called Sikhism. But when you think about the definition of guru, it's someone who initiates the spirit of others. And while that word may or may not be appropriate, it's no longer used in a religious content context. It's very much now secular. I think of that word, I think of you that way. Because for those who may not know Jamie, if you see her in her public face, she's working out, she's smiling, she's happy. But where was the origin if you were on the struggle bus? Walk us through your past, and then I want to get there. Talk to us about the twists and turns that led you this way. I'm going to give you like the real quick and dirty version, okay? Love to. Um, Yeah, so... I grew up, uh, my mom is Joan London. She was a TV journalist, of course, the host of Good Morning America for almost 20 years. Indeed. Wonderful mother, wonderful upbringing, wonderful parents. My parents loved me. I had a great childhood. And so it, you know, like many children who grow up with some sort of kind of privilege and comfort, I ended up also falling into the trap of like a party lifestyle. And it's funny, years later, when I ended up putting that behind me and walking into recovery rooms, which was my first foray into self-betterment, I heard people's stories. I was abused. That's why I drank. I had this, I had that. And you almost feel as someone who came from a different background, well, what's my excuse? you almost feel guilty, right? For like having been struggled with addiction or whatever the case may be. And what I learned was that first of all, you know, it's uh, it's actually, you know, biological, pathological and um, a classifiable, you know, medical diagnosis addiction, right? So that's a whole separate issue. But also we all have our mishigas, as we say in the Jewish religion, we all have our background that, that informs how we feel as adults. So what I had learned through having a mom who was very high achieving was what I had taken on from that was that I would never be her, I would never be enough. Did she do that to me? No, she never did that to me. I did that to me. So I had a lot of insecurities. I had a lot of issues with, um, you know, overdoing it uh, with the party lifestyle because I just kind of went that other direction of rebellion. And it also led to a lot of struggles with self-worth and then also cycles of not just abusing drugs and alcohol, but food. And so I dealt with weight issues my whole life and a lot of cyclical um, struggles around that from, you know, eating disorders on the restricting side to also struggling with things like binge eating disorder, which all of that and coming through all of that was really what led me to not just want to go to the gym and get fit, but to really figure out how can I help other women with this? Because I know I'm not the only one. And 
how did you come to the realization that I need recovery? Because many of our listeners don't know where that point is, and it may be different for others. What was yours? Well, so the thing is, it's such a personal journey. Right. And I think the mistake that many people make is they think they need to be, you know, if it's alcoholism, that they need to be a fall down drunk in the gutter or falling off of bar stools. And if you're not that, you're not an alcoholic or you don't need to seek recovery. Here's the very simple barometer. Is it causing a problem in your life? <laughs> and get help. <laughs> that right? seems so simple. Do people complicate it? Yeah, they- people, right. people complicate it. But here's the thing, Chuck, and here's where it fast forwards many years and we're skipping a lot of steps that I'm sure we'll back up and cover. Yep. Where it brought me to today is that food is much more vague and much more difficult, right? Because it's easy to see like, oh, alcohol is really plaguing me. I should just give it up entirely. And by abstaining, you kind of lose that trigger and that craving and it starts to dissipate. We always need to eat, Chuck. We always need to eat food. And we have such shame. We have such shame around compulsions around food, around not having been able to stick to our diet and exercise plan when we see other people doing it. It's trending on social media. Everybody's like all about wellness. And here we are just trying trying to do it and failing once again. And we just, we feel like a failure. And so we give up and we decide it's not for us. My goal is to dispel food shame. I'm sick of women being so stuck in shame about it. And so I empower women to reach their wellness goals by using accountability, specifically by enlisting those around them in their hyper, hyper local network, their husband, their roommate, their mother, whoever it is. For me, it's my husband, by the way. I'll talk more about that. I want to get to an interesting story, especially how you came to be husband and wife. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I'll tell that story, but I'm lucky uh, that story is anchored in wellness. Luckily, he also likes wellness, but it doesn't matter if he did or he didn't. He would still be able to help me. I have a very simple method that I teach with a coaching practice that I have called the big ask, where I empower women to reach these goals by asking the people around them for help. Right, so that's really the 360 version, not unlike Weight Watchers or something where you you build community because I think most people, I too, I, I struggled with childhood obesity when, when I was a teenager. And what I remember is it's that sense of community, even if it's one individual, nobody has to tell you not to eat a third bowl of ice cream. That's a no brainer. But who is inspiring you not to? Because often when it comes to the inspirers, and I think of you that way, you're doing one of two things. You're either inspiring to people to do something or you're inspiring. This is the tougher part. You're inspiring people to not do something on either one of those on the spectrum. Where do you spend your time helping them to do or helping them not to do? Both. (laughs) It depends. No, it it is more, I would say it is more, um, and I hate to root anything in the negative, but it is more about helping them undo the bad habits first. And here's the thing. We, cause here's, here's the thing. We all know what to do. You know, most of my clients come to me with so much information. In fact, a lot of them have a nutritional vocabulary. They know what they should do. 
It's not that they don't know what to do. It's that they can't make themselves not do the other bad stuff too. And, you know, in the beginning when they, you know, they share their food with me, they'll, they'll share all these healthy meals, but the scale's not moving. And I'm like, something else is going on. Right. So we have to get to the root of that. You got to get honest. You got to get vulnerable and you got to ask for help because when you try to do it alone, that's when it's overwhelming. And when you see that and you see the multitude of people coming in, are there commonalities about, about why they are doing this? What, 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 what do you see? And I want our listeners to key in on this because any of those who, who are now we're, we're, we're diving into a realm of relatability, what are the patterns they should look for in themselves? Here's the tough part. So many of the women that I work with and the women, and the reason that I came to this was because this type of woman would come to me historically over the last four or five years as I was building NYC Fit Fam, which is my Instagram account. And I was becoming more of a public figure with a voice around wellness and inspiring others. Women would come to me and they would say, can I speak to you candidly? And I would sit down with them over a cup of coffee And Chuck, these would be some of the highest performing women you've ever met. They are the anchors of news networks. They are, you know, I worked in entertainment and PR, right? So like, um, they are the people that I had worked with over the span of that career that I had prior to this one, which was a 20 year career in public relations, representing all sorts of brands, big and small. So I had really wonderfully powerful uh, women and executive friends in my life that would come to me and they would say, girl, I'm crushing it in every other part of my life. From the outside, I really look like I've got it going on, but I am dying inside because I am so frustrated. I um, am my own worst enemy. I sabotage my own goals when it comes to losing that last or that 20 pounds, you know, that by the way, I've been trying to manage since I was 13 and I'm 50. And that's a long struggle to bear. That is a long struggle, but you're almost embarrassed because you feel like you should just have that down. Like you have everything else down and it's okay to admit that you don't. Yeah. I I think Jamie, you're describing a paradox. And I certainly see that too, in very successful people on one end, but the equilibrium is off, off kilter. And there's a self-destructive destructive tendency I often find. Are you, are you describing that, that there is something in their nature that is inhibiting the success through a self-destructive tendency? Do I have that right? It could possibly be that, or perhaps it's just misaligned priorities. You know, we are so ambitious, so many of us, whether we are career women, whether we are just trying to be the best moms we can be, um, and of course, men struggle with it, struggle with it too. But I, I tend to be approached by women because we suffer in silence because we want to wear all the hats. Right. We, we know that today we're supposed to be boss babes and we're supposed to do all the things great and have it all together. And we just can't admit that we're still unable, that we're still, and by the way, people are not, not losing weight because they can't figure out should I be doing paleo or keto? It's all just so confusing. They're binge eating a bag of cookies in the pantry at nine o'clock at night, Chuck. Okay. They are like, it's what's happening and we all do it. You know, Uh, it might not be every night, but we all have these moments. We're fallible. We're, you know, we're, we're human. 
But why, why, why are we that. so afraid to admit it? Because we're now in a world where we are moving to a much more empathetic, emotionally intelligent world. It's everywhere. It's what I teach at Columbia. I teach it to engineers that in this continuum of command and control and collaborate connect in order to get to the equilibrium that puts millennials, Gen Zers, Gen X, whoever they may be together in the absence of empathy and emotional intelligence, we're going to screw up the next generation. So we are continuing to try to help people that, that vulnerability is a strength. But in your case, you're saying we haven't quite caught up to it. They still view being honest to other people as being a weakness. Let me give you a parallel. Yeah. In today's world, uh, and even by law, you would have to be able to go to your boss and say, in most workplaces, you, you should be able to go and say, look, boss, I got to be totally transparent with you. I have a problem with alcohol. I have to go to 30 days of treatment. It's what's best for me and for me as your employee. You got to hold my job. You got to just understand, right? And usually by law in most places, the boss has to say, okay, and, and probably your insurance will pay for it, right? Okay. Imagine now you had a very similar, uh, as far as your brain uh, waves go, very similar addiction that was binge eating disorder. So some people just have problem with diet and exercise. Some people actually have classifiable binge eating disorder. And by the way, only 3% of people who have binge eating disorder are diagnosed. So it's very, it's a, it's a very fine line. And, and I, and I speak, there's a, there's a spectrum, but imagine that was your reality. Okay. You really feel like you are struggling with this in silence. Imagine going to your boss and saying, I cannot stop eating. I have to go away for 30 days of treatment. And I work with a binge eating disorder specialist. He owns Breathe Life Healing Center in California as one of the people on my executive committee of um, The Big Ask, which is my coaching program. And he told me that the average length of stay for a binge eating disorder patient is actually 72 days. Can you imagine in, in this reality, in this world saying, I can't stop eating. I need to go away for 72 days of inpatient treatment. However, when you look at the brain, it is actually the same disease of addiction. So really, why shouldn't those people be able to get help? But there's such a stigma around food. You're just weak, you should be embarrassed, you're, you're fat, you're weak, you can't get it together. It's just not that easy. Right. You just can't say, suck it up and do. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me, if I may, Jamie, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna take it back a bit and then I, I wanna understand so people can see your, your, your choice points and what led you to this place. I know you went to NYU, communications makes sense, you go into PR, you represent brands. So you're now branding other people, but you hadn't branded yourself as something outside of that quite yet. But all of a sudden, something happened along the way. So you're representing everyone else. And yet here you are, and you've emerged, and you've come out of, and you're becoming who you are. And something triggers. You decide, did you become something else, someone else? Walk us through that transition from the corporate world to waking up in the service of someone else's health. Well, I have always been, um, I've always had a love of inspiring and I've always tried to be a thought leader amongst my various communities, right? So I've always worn many different hats and I would write and byline articles for publications all since I was a teenager. And I was always trying to um, have side hustles that had a greater you know, a, a greater good kind yeah. of sensibility. I went into PR because I was called to do it and I loved it. I did it for 
almost 20 years from internships to end of career. Um, and I loved it. And I loved the, the, the hustle and bustle. I loved the experience of, of bringing brands from sometimes even before they were to market to, you know, to scaling and to being, you know, acquired by huge companies. I represented brands in the health and wellness space all the way up to Fortune 500 brands like McDonald's and General Motors. Mm -hmm. So I really, it ran the gamut. Um, I had never intended to leave my corporate job in the beginning. Funny how that works. I, I, okay, so let's bring it back to George. My yeah. husband, George, proposed to me on a treadmill at Barry's boot camp. Yeah, that's in cool. New York City. <laughs> was there a room? Uh, it was absolutely, we were, uh, we had just finished our last round of sprints. We were all red faced and sweaty and he essentially got down on one knee. My mom was there for the engagement. And so it got a bit of ink in the New York media and it kind of started our public facing persona as a fit couple. And we just kind of ran with it. It was a fun piece of our story. We started NYC Fit Fam as kind of an extension of our life, our fitness journey, and just to share that with the world. We were never intending on being influencers. Neither of us are millennials. We are 40 and 60 years old. I did not look at being, a, I did not look at an influencer as a job path. Even though I hired influencers and I knew that there was young ladies making a lot of money doing that and whatever, that was great for them. But I was a corporate executive, you know, like I was, I had that was your identity and you were dug into it. It's who you were. That's but there, it's not who you're not. You were now gravitating to someone else yes. or another part of you. Well, I was just sharing my joie de vivre on social media. And what happened was, uh, it, that's a lightning in a bottle moment when it sparks, right? When people start to watch. Yep. And it kind of took off when I was pregnant with my first son and people were following my fit pregnancy. Whatever that tipping point moment was, people started to follow our account. And what was a, just a fun hobby became a side hustle. But over the course of the next two years, it went from a side hustle to a second full-time job. Why do I think it grew so fast and furious? Well, I certainly had the acumen and kind of the, I had the institutional pedigree of having worked in business for 20 years. So I ran it like a business and I started to partner with brands and do that very strategically. It led to my television career, which began with, you know, doing a lot of opportunities on behalf of brands on TV. I was on Dr. Oz. I was on the Today Show. I was doing a lot of that. And after two years of that, um, I was the SVP for a big agency and it just became clear it was time to pick a lane. Uh, okay, let, 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 let's stick with that for just a second. What you're describing is many of our listeners, I'm the classic one as well. My Wall Street world, I transitioned to someone else. Your story is unique as well. But what I find when people ask me for advice, they have trouble in the transition. You though, was it a conscious decision? I can no longer do both. It has to be one or the other. Did it happen with a switch or was there something gradual? Help us understand. If it happens with a switch, I would really um, advise you to take a step back, right? I, it, it shouldn't, it can't. There has to be a business plan. There has to be an understanding of a parallel financial spectrum. Can I really match 
you, and you have to understand beyond your salary, right? What do, what are the implications of leaving my corporate cushy lifestyle? I will now owe, I will now have, you know, insurance that costs the same as my rent to insure my whole family. I will now have all of these other responsibilities. So I have to be able to make that plus that plus that. And you have to have that understanding. And if you don't have an accurate understanding of your books and your expenses, you're going to be in trouble. My husband and I sat down, we looked at all the numbers because it's great to be idealistic. Yes, at a certain point, did I want to take my passion for fitness, wellness, diet, nutrition, and make that my vocation on Instagram? Yes, what a fun job. And it has been a wonderful job that's led to a lot of other things, including my coaching practice. But you have to look at it from a business perspective first, because I have two kids and a family. You mean you have to pay bills too? Oh yeah, <laughs> the, 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 these darn billers are so irritating. They send me those bills too. But you can tell them I'm so idealistic. I want to change the world. And their response is, uh-huh. That's right. They, that, they don't care. Here's why I'm asking that, Jamie, as many of our listeners, we have done 60 plus shows. And a lot of the feedback I get is often when they hear your story or many of our guest stories, how do you know, in spite of all of the analysis, how do you know the time is right? Mm -hmm. How did you know the time was right? What, what happened that? Okay. I yeah. Well, I waited about... 18 months to two years on it. So I really like I I I evaluated it. I I I tried to understand if I could do both, you know. It was scary. It was scary to leave. But what I realized was I was never really giving a hundred percent of myself to either. Right. You know, every time I was doing and also, Chuck, let's be honest, being talent undermines you as a corporate executive and being a corporate executive undermines you as talent. So you have to understand who you're presenting to the world. And, and I had to make a decision. Every time I was going on television, I wasn't really giving it the time. Some of the things that are the fluffy parts of getting ready for a TV show, getting your hair right, getting your wardrobe right, but they're important because you're going on TV and representing your own brand or somebody else's brand. Well, when you're flying back and forth to corporate meetings in you know, Chicago and Milwaukee and you're presenting decks and you're doing all these things, you can't be going to the hair salon. So there's, there's, certain, there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think some people equate that to you know, when you, you hear others who were at these, they, they could be in many lanes. I got an A in this and I got, I was doing B in this and I was doing A work here, but I wasn't getting it. I needed to get an A in one thing instead of a bunch of Bs and a few. So when your point, to your point, Jamie, it sounded like I'm trying to serve two different lanes and you're diminishing your own capacity in either one of them. So at some point through the analysis, you said, okay, I am going to leave not leave the corporate world. I am going to transition. How was it at first? Help others to understand the initiation and what that slope looked like. Um, when I did leave my corporate job, I gave them a, a nice, I, I did 90 days. We'd had a big transition process. And then I stayed on as a consultant for six additional months. So I was then out of the office and, and helping them kind of transition everything um, to, to the new team members. And then I had to learn 
to work on my own. Okay. Now, the good news is I was so passionate and so enthusiastic about my business that I certainly had no problem getting up and getting my day being, you know, finding my fire. Right. I had no problem with that. It was not like I was like not getting started on time or, you know, like doing my problem was the opposite. I wanted to, I, so I had had all of these things that I felt that had been tabled a bit because I was trying to also work a corporate job. And then I wanted to bring all of them to life in the first 30 days of being on my own. And then I got frustrated because none of them came to fruition because I wasn't really like, I hadn't prioritized work streams. So what I did was I brought on uh, an executive coach, like a business coach. Um, she was, she's kind of like a life coach. She, she also brings in a bit of the woo-woo stuff, which I like. You got to find the right, my husband has an executive coach too. His isn't like that. Find the right coach for you in whatever you do. For me, I find as an entrepreneur, there's something that is very comforting about answering to a boss, right? And when you don't have that anymore and there's no one to give you deadlines, you're like, oh man, find a coach that can help give you deadlines or find a team and ask them to give you deadlines. Ask your bookkeeper to give you deadlines on certain projects because it does help you structure and manage your own time. And that was part of what I learned was to resource myself with a team and with people around me they could help me structure my own time because I'm asking for what I need. Well, what you're describing is to many that I've seen in the transition of this journey, they've even, they've admitted the most difficult person to hold accountable, hold accountable is myself, holding myself accountable to myself. It was a lot easier when there was someone externally who said, hit this, and I put the pressure on. But what you're describing are many of the characteristics where we're not taught to hold ourselves accountable because it's always the teacher, the grade, the goal, the objective. And then here we are, bam, holding yourself accountable. So you reached out for help in a world where you say sometimes people are afraid to reach out for help. Well, I, I hope that you're seeing the parallels. Indeed. Oh, what's to come. That's where I'm going with this. Because, exactly. Because this is everything. Right. 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 This is life. And it's okay, by the way, to say, like, Chuck, I would be very surprised if I left my corporate job and just figured out the whole thing on my own in 30 days. That would be otherworldly and probably a ridiculous, you know, like standard to hold myself to. That's not realistic. It's not realistic in anything that we do. And that is why it is okay and advisable and actually um, a strength move to bring on somebody to help you. Well, Jamie, you are drawing the parallel between the executive who rose to new heights but was afraid to ask for help, the individual who had the entrepreneurial spirit. But I have seen many; they're afraid to. They're, they're afraid of judgment. There's a fear that we're going to think they're dumb, they're ill prepared. Not at all. So I think, seems to me, Jamie, here, our biggest call to action is: it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to ask for help. This must be the cornerstone of how you help others to help themselves. Do I have that right? You nailed it. Cool. And, and, and to our listeners, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to come to us. We're both coaches. We're here to help. 
but it starts with helping ourselves. And I think Jamie's story is such a wonderful one where you came to different points. You had to look at that reflection in the mirror and say, who, who do I want to be and how am I going to get there? But you didn't do it alone. We don't climb mountains alone. Jamie, tell, tell let, let's, let's close with a few things. NYC FitFam. It's a fascinating concept. Tell our listeners, and we have many viewers, what is it? And, and can they be a part of it? Where do we find you? So NYC FitFam is my Instagram account, but what it really is, is a journey that my husband and I share because we're not, and we always say, we're very clear. Well, now we actually do have uh, nutrition certifications, but when we started this, we were not registered dietitians, fitness trainers. We were, we are true wellness geeks. So we're curators of information. In the time that we've been NYC FitFam, we've gone from, you know, we've gone plant-based, we've made that journey and found all these new ways of life where we felt better. And then we just, our entire goal is to share that with our audience. So my husband and I do things like, you know, cooking segments and, you know, fitness tips and all of that. But really where I think people derive the most motivation and inspiration is by following my Instagram stories. And because of how I was connecting with women through that every single day, women started asking me, do you do one-on-one -on -one coaching? Do you do one-on-one -on -one coaching? And I was always like, no, it's just not, I don't do it. And then finally somebody was like, I'm sorry, why? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you do. You just don't know it. <laughs> that's exactly right. Because I was always the first to say, you know what though? DM me every day. Let's get you on the treadmill. I'm going to DM you at six in the morning. We're going to get on together, girl. Once we put on our sneakers, we're not getting back in bed. That was my MO day in, day out. I was doing it. And so finally I said, well, like, let's form, like, let's formalize this and let's allow allow myself to help people in the way I want to help them. But the, the last piece of this, it all comes back to my relationship with my husband, because what I realized was the missing piece for so many women. There's something that I had learned to do. I had done an accountability program uh, that kind of helped me lose the weight after I had my second baby. And I realized that accountability was the key, but then I was like, okay, but how is that sustainable? You probably won't have an accountability coach forever. Like that. I don't know if that's realistic. So I started asking my husband, I would say, Hey babe, there's certain like little things that I'm noticing. I do like when I have my almond butter, which is a delicious and healthy snack. I have it every morning with a half an apple, man, I need the nut butter police. I cannot scoop the right. It's like, I know in my head what one serving is, but my spoon just goes back for more like, you know, and it's, and it does it every day forever. And I never learn. I never learn, you know? No, I don't never learn. I can't do it. It's okay. I can't do it. Okay. It's, it's like, it's unmanageable for me. It's an unmanageable thing for me. So I, I started asking my husband, would you mind coming in at 10 AM every day, scooping my two tablespoons of nut butter, which is one serving, and then putting the jar away somewhere in your office where I don't know where it is. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, it's like, I could breathe. Cause I wasn't going to sabotage myself again with the stupid nut butter, but it wasn't that stupid to me. Right. So I started thinking, and I would do it all the time. I, I would ask them to put things away that were our kids' snacks that kind of, when they were in my sight line, I just couldn't keep my hands out. And I would ask for these just little things. I would know what to ask for. I wouldn't just say, could you help me with my diet? I would say, I struggle with this. I'm going to be really honest with you. I, will, I won't just eat one, by the way. I'm going to eat four. Like I had to admit to him that like, 
I will go to a place that's excessive. And, and in my pain, in the pain of me struggling with that, he's like, yeah, no, I'll help you with that. And it's like, but the, there, there's, there's two things going on here. There is the acceptance, your self-acceptance, which is often the hardest gateway to transformation. It's accepting that. But also you have a partner who accepts you to be helped in the way that you needed it. Not some general, oh, you know, hey, just stop eating so much almond butter. He understands the tactics by which this community that you're building is one that helps each other specific to, to the context of how you need that help. And the reason I say that, Jamie, I see all this, you know, be all you can be and, and do your best and follow your dreams. There's nothing specific there and people don't know what to do with it. What you're describing is a metaphor for what could be much bigger issues. But if you don't get the almond butter right, you're not going to get the bigger ones, right? So it has to start in the kitchen with one spoon and one jar of almond butter. Is that the way you advise people to look at their transformations? You could not be more right. And so here's the thing. When I work with one-on-one -on -one coaching clients, our third session, I bring in their big ask partner. It can be their husband. It can be, you know, their mom. Everyone has someone in their life that loves them. Right. But you have to pick someone. Okay. And, and the point is in these sessions, the partner often feels like silly. It's like, are we really talking about yeah, like, this is awkward. <laughs> you know what? At nine o'clock at night, when your wife went to get a glass of water and she opened the fridge to get the Brita or whatever out of the, and that pudding is in her face. And she's, she knows that the night before she binge ate four of them. It's not silly to her. Yeah. And you have to make the other person understand what that feels like. And usually when they understand it immediately, they want to help. Yeah, Jamie, what you're describing is the 18, the, the longest journey that any human being takes is the 18 inches that separates the heart from the mind. And often in this data-driven world, we tend to take things factually and try to solve, solve the emotional things with our minds, not with our hearts. What you're describing is trying to the extent we can to feel that pain so that we understand that Getting a second scoop of almond butter is not silly to you. It is emotionally driven and it could be turmoil to you. And if it's painful to you and it becomes painful to me, I wouldn't laugh at that. I would help you with it. That's how you build your community and everything I've read about you. That's what you do. It's specific. It's accountable and pays it forward, inspiring to others. So if nothing else, Jamie, thank you for the work you do. Thank you so much for saying that. And if anybody wants to explore it more with me, you can always reach out to me at NYC Fit Fam. I'm very responsive and interactive with my community because that is the whole point. Right. Let, let, let's close here. We always... This, I always like to give an opportunity to our guests to answer one question that has three parts. If any one of our listeners, whoever they are, and I really appreciate everyone out there that tunes into us, when it comes to looking forward and all of the challenges, what do you want our listeners to think, 
feel and do about what's ahead of them? Mm. Think, feel, and do. That's your call to action. Well, and I hate to kind of just repeat myself, but let's be really honest here, okay? It's about dropping the rock. We all have a rock. For so many of us, that rock is our shame. So what is it? You are only as sick as your secrets, okay? What is it in the back corner of your mind that you're almost embarrassed to say out loud because it does seem like a silly problem, but it is not silly to you. It could be diet. It could be your time management that every day you just open 50 zillion documents, but you're finishing nothing. What is the one thing for you that is your rock? Let me tell you how to drop it. You speak it out loud. It takes all the power away from it. And it's the first step towards getting help. That's the call to action. Don't bottle it up inside any longer. It's okay to communicate it because someone is going to be there to help you with it. I'm Chuck Garcia. You have listened to a climb to the top stories of transformation. And I am honored to have been able to bring on to a show our guest, Jamie Hess. Jamie goes to work every day in the service of others' health and prosperity. And for that, Jamie, I am grateful for your time and your insights. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And today's show has been brought to you by Climber. That's clmbr.com. You can go to www.clmbr.com. And if you'd like to buy one of their beautiful pieces of equipment for the climbers and all of us, put in the code CHUCK250 for a full paid offer. Jamie, it has just been wonderful. And I am so blessed. Such great insights and such a great theme of how we are self-talk, how we hold ourselves accountable, but also how we strive to find the people in our lives who love us enough to hold us accountable to ourselves. That's what you do. And I thank you every day for all of the people that you impact. Thank you, my friend. Much appreciated. To our client, to our (laughs) climbers, our mountain climbers, lawyers, doctors, students, my Columbia students, whoever is listening, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Chuck Garcia. You can find me at chuckgarcia.com. Follow us on Instagram. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the other places. But today's show is about you. And it's about the endless possibilities to discover the potential in ourselves. But the most important part is Jamie's advice. Talk to us. Talk to your friends. Talk to the people who love you because they will love you back. Good night to our listeners. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.